tonight, we're going to focus on a few verses in Matthew chapter 6, the do not worry passages. Next week, we're going to focus on a part of chapter 7, and then we're starting a new series. Right now, the vote among most people for the new series we're going to start is, what do non-Christians think about Christians? We're just going to go into a, like, a different, kind of more topical series. There's been some good books written about that, and some research done. Just, what do non-Christians think about us as a group of people? We're going to kind of do that for a while, and then maybe go back into Matthew before we just intersperse back and forth. Here's where we've been. We've done a couple things like when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Two weeks ago, we had a struggle over these verses. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And we were wrestling with this, that no one can serve two masters, the punchline being you cannot serve both God and money. Tonight, we're going to talk about do not worry. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So let's stop there for a second. I want to hear from you more tonight because this is addressed to the people and he's saying, basically, don't worry. What do you make of this? Is this something that you think maybe it's sinful if we worry? What do you think he's trying to say by setting up this whole do not worry thing? And you could also talk about your own experience if you want, like, Is this even easy to do? Can we just set our cares aside? Because he's really kind of ending. You know where this is going. He's saying, you have little faith if you worry. At least that's what it seems to say on its face. So what do you think? Let's hear from you guys. Yeah. Um, We make it a bigger issue because it's part of our nature. We worry about things. So I think it is a very simple idea, but it's so hard for us to grasp even simple ideas like this because we automatically are going to go towards, well, I have to do this, 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 and this. Okay, let's talk about that. When you're saying, I'm, I have to do this, 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 and this, all right? Is that worry or is that planning, responsibility? What is that? It, it's not so much about the idea of responsibilities. I'm not talking about me being responsible for something. It's me constantly thinking about something that if it doesn't get done or something Okay. So you're concerned. You're not just thinking about it. You're actually concerned about it. Okay. Stephanie? I, I, don't, I know what I have to do, but I don't really worry about it. Okay. What's the point in worrying about it? Because Jesus is going to address that. That's true. Yeah. I think we worry more about stuff that we're not in control. Yeah. 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 Like when something is coming up and you are totally not in control of the, of the outcome, then the worrying comes in. Okay. That's true. You want to add something? Yeah. I think like... Like for me, it's, it's, it, it comes down to more about me worrying about money than it is my, my stuff. 
Like I kind of worry about like, oh, dude, do I have money to get down to work because I don't have money to pay for gas? Um, Can I stop you? Isn't that the same thing though as kind of what he's addressing? In a way, because, because it seems like if you had money, you would take care of food and clothing, which is what he's kind of pointing towards. You're talking about gas because money buys gas. Money buys a lot of things we worry about, right? I also want to point out, though, that it's not just worrying about those things. It's like the, the needs. He also seems to be saying, don't worry about them in general. Like, for example... Don't worry about your clothes. You could take that in two senses, like clothes that you have to have so you're not naked, but maybe also clothes that you want to have so that you covet those things, right? It seems like there's a flavor of both in there. I, yeah, you know, I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot, this, this passage, you know, in the last, like, six months. And, you know, I just, I took, like, a week of my life to where I was just, like, well, let's just see, or, like, actually a, a full month for that matter. So, okay, well, let's see, like, you know, if the Lord's really going to take care of me. And, and it's like, you know, I moved out and paying bills and paying rent and all this other stuff. So I look at it and, you know, the Lord really gives me everything that I need, like, to take care of my situation. And he really, I mean, anything more than that is kind of more what we want to do with it. But he'll, he'll cover our bases pretty good, you know. Okay. Ben? What about people who don't have It's a good point. What about those people? Because it sounds like if I can bring it back to your point for a second, it seems like, the people who don't worry are the people who've been taken care of somehow, right? So your point is? Well, say there's a homeless person, not by choice, but just by circumstance, and he doesn't have money to buy clothes. Like, he's worried about those things. Do you read this verse as saying to the homeless person, don't worry? Like, even children that are in some country that are dying because there's no food? Philip? I don't really have the answer to this, but I think that it's, if God's not saying don't ever think about what you're going to eat or drink and just hope that somehow food enters your mouth. So there's some level of concern that's different than obviously what he's talking about with worries. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It's just don't think about these things. Does anyone by any chance have a copy of the King James Bible with them? Anyone have that version with them? Because some translations, instead of do not worry, some translations actually say give no thought to. And I think that's probably not the flavor. So let's define it. You're talking about a definitional thing. What does it mean to worry? I don't think that's the best translation of it. I don't think Jesus is saying don't think about it. I don't think he's saying don't even plan or work because even in his example, look at the birds. They're working and collecting even what God is putting in front of them. I don't think that Jesus is saying don't think about it don't plan it, don't work for it. I don't think he's saying any of those things. He is kind of saying, don't be anxious about it. Don't stress. Yeah, maybe in our parlance it'd be like, chill out, don't stress. Okay, but I still think that Ben's point really we need to wrestle with in a moment, but good. Owen? I think it's probably more like, not like whether you'll eat or not, but what you want to eat. Like, oh, should we go and get this today or this? What are our options? Or like, does this outfit make me look cute or not? You know what I mean? I think it's more like that. Yeah, that's what I was telling you, Ryan. There's two things going on at the same time. There's the do not worry about just what you need, because I think that's in there for sure. That's the primary meaning. But I think it also seems to come back to do not worry about the things also that you want or do not chase them. But let's read Ford a little bit and see if we can struggle with it a little bit more. So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, 
and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. That's why I think there's that second aspect of it, that it's a little bit more than just our needs. Because he seems to say the pagans run after these things. Well, you think the pagans are bad just because they want to survive and eat? No, he's actually making a statement that the pagans are only concerned about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. That's his indictment of them. So it is a little bit about our definitely our needs, but secondarily, that some of us spend our whole life chasing them and worrying about getting possession of all those things like the pagans do. All right, I think we can dismiss that one. That one's just materialism. We just say we shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't just be all about food and drink. Okay, great. That was their talk from the last couple of weeks. Trying to avoid that eat, drink, and be merry culture, that materialism, that gluttony, that consumerism, that consumption that defines our culture. I'm still struggling, though, with the first one because sometimes we just need it. Yeah. Well, he said this, but then like, when you read the next verse, it's like, but seek first the kingdom. You know what? There you go. You guys have learned to read the Bible in context. My job is done. I'm out of here. Group's over. We're finished. <laughs> All you have to do now is read it on your own. You'll get it. That's an excellent point. Let's read the whole thing because it does come back and I'm going to tie it. That's good. So we all know that the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Your point is that you've got to connect them. Okay. It's clear that your father knows that these things are needed. And it's clear that he's setting up what you kind of thought was a priority, it sounds like. Like he's saying, but, and that's a very important connector, but despite everything we just said, seek first the kingdom. Okay? We're starting to build something here. Monique? I think the biggest worries are things that we feel we really want with all our heart or that we're afraid of are not going to happen for us. And it's like Lena said, it's out of our control. And I know someone that we know who I feel like has sought after God his whole life and still hasn't found love or like is still single and like 45 or you know what I mean? Like there are things that we don't know is in our future that you could worry about. Like your career and like if you get in, you know, college or am I going to get married? Am I going to like what kind of life am I going to I need food. I think both of us have faith enough to know God's not going to let us starve. You. Isn't somebody out here going to challenge, like, the hierarchy of needs that Maslow would throw out or some crazy thing like that? Like, sure, after you have food and after you have shelter and clothing, now, because we're human, that's not enough for us. Now we want all these other things that come with it. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And maybe I, I understand that we have basic needs, including love, right? But it sounded like, there were other things that we worry about. You were dismissing these as like, I'm not worried about these. But what I want to point out is if you didn't have them, you would absolutely be more worried about them than anything else. The difference is that these are like life essentials. You have to have these to survive, whereas other things are more... Talk to someone who's lonely and see what... Right, but you don't need that to survive. You need food and you need shelter and you need clothing. You don't need, you know, all the physicality things of the world. You need these things. It's like... We as people feel like we need them, but like, that's what we actually need is food and stuff. Okay, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. It's just my belief. My belief is that if you're, if you're cold and homeless and hungry, that you might also be lonely. But if you ask that person which order he wants to solve them in, he's probably wanting to get out of the cold 
and eat first before he deals with his loneliness. And I, I just think that's just, that's just the way we are. But the reason I bring up that example is not because this applies only to homeless people. What I want to point out to you, if you think critically about yourselves, is because we're not cold and hungry in this room that we then move on to think and worry about other things. And those are valid too. I'm not saying that we don't feel loneliness, that we don't need love. I would think that Jesus would respond and say, your heavenly Father knows that you need those too. But I think like my point though too is that I've seen examples of people that put God first that still don't have those things met. Good. Now, now, now we're hitting the real issue, which is it sounds like we've got a couple objections going from so far. We've got Ben who's bringing up the objection of, well, I know people who don't get to eat at all. How do they fit into this do not worry? And you're bringing up a second thing. If I... Th- if I understand you, you're saying, how about those people who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you and, they're, and you're saying, where is that? It's, they're not getting it, right? Okay. Let me dissect the seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because I think a lot of us have to look at the second sentence a little bit more carefully. It is true he's saying seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I think that doesn't even need explanation. It's a priority. Above all else, seek this. In fact, if you hit the next slide real fast for me, there's actually continually seek. It's written in the present imperative. You must continually seek. It's not like once you seek it, that's it. We must, as a priority, continually seek his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness. Remember earlier in chapter 5, I believe it's verse 20, Jesus said, that until your righteousness surpasses that even of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. He was laying down a pretty high standard. This Sermon on the Mount, this is spoken in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, a very high standard for his followers to keep. So he's not loosening up the standard. He's saying, seek first the kingdom. We've already defined that. And his righteousness, everything I'm telling you in this sermon, that's first. You don't get any excuse to get out of that. That's what you should focus on. But I hear your, your trouble is, and all these things will be added unto you. What about the people who don't seem to have these things added unto you? Whether it's food, clothing, needs, or the other needs. Like, what about the person who's seeking God their whole life and is lonely and is looking for that person and can't find it? But Lord, I've been seeking you my whole life. Why is this thing not added unto me? You want to answer? Um, the, the prayer verse says, and these things will be given to you. That's exactly where I was kind of driving. I think that most of us are looking for fulfillment in every way in this world. And you need to stop for a second and think, that's not possible. If you believe, and maybe you don't, but if you believe that we live in a fallen world that's sinful and that this is not ultimately our home, then you cannot have all fulfillment here if for no other reason than we were made to dwell with God. That was the original intent of our creation. It's kind of not good enough, though. It's because don't worry about it. What it really means is in heaven. There's a complaint box over there for God. We'll send him the note. Because if you think it's a cop-out, part of it is we will never be fully complete here. If you expect to be, let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to be disappointed in this life. There will be some people who will yearn for their whole life to not be lonely, and they will die lonely. There will be people who spend their whole life yearning not to be hungry, and they will die hungry. This is a screwed up, messed up world. 
if we think about what this whole story is about, it's a story of redeeming us. From cover to cover, it's about redeeming us and redeeming the earth and redeeming the whole plan that went awry. So how could it happen here? And how do we get to choose? There'll be people who are totally well-fed, have a lot of money, have great clothing, have no worries except they're lonely. There's other people who will be just the opposite. They'll have great love around them, but they, their family can't even find how to make it from week to week. That's just what this world is. It's partly our fault, but let me just leave that point right there for a second. Seek first the kingdom. That's the priority. There's no way around it. All these things will be added unto you. Well, that could mean later, and it could be now. I'm not saying it has to be later. I'm just saying that if you expect all of it to come in this life, you're trying to build heaven here. You're trying to build paradise here. You're trading the eternal for temporary pleasure, temporary need even. Philip. The whole point of that previous passage was saying, hey, don't try and worry about everything in, on the earth and storing up treasures here. Worry about taking care of it in heaven. Those, things, those are where it matters. And because of that, we should be worrying about all the stuff here. I think that's an excellent point, I, and I believe they are connected because of that. Jesus is spending a bit of time going through a don't be material kind of discussion that has much deeper implications as well. That's not the only point he's making, but that's kind of an overriding theme that he's trying to loosen his disciples away from that kind of materialism. I want to bring up a different verse for a second because I think we should be troubled by the fact that there are people who are going to die without food, without clothing, without anything in this world. And it seems like Jesus is saying, do not worry. By the way, it could also be without love, without a lot of things. We in this country, in this place, worry about the, what I consider the, the other worries because we have so much of our basic needs met. Especially those of us in this room, because I don't think there's a single person in this room that knows real hunger, that can't go to somebody and say, feed me, and nobody, I, mean, I think everybody in this room would take somebody in if we had to do that to keep somebody from starving. I don't think any of us have lived in a place that we know where we're not going to, we don't even know where we're going to get our food for an entire week that could go by. Jesus struggled with his disciples over this question. It's too long of a discussion to go into, but I want to just read you this verse so it's not just me saying it. The Lord answered, and he's talking to Peter, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? That's from Luke 12. What's the backdrop? Jesus had just told a very difficult parable and he was talking about who's going to be a wise steward, who's going to be a wise servant for him as the master. And over and over we see this stewardship and master relationship, steward-master. We see it in many of Jesus' parables. And Peter's asking, like, who does this apply to? Just the disciples? Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. He just poses it as another rhetorical. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Who wants to be this person? But notice what the thing is they would do if they stepped up to be this person. Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. Jesus is telling the people who have been given much who've been given talents, who've been given wealth, who've been given even the basic needs, that you are a steward for the talents that the Lord has given you, and it's your job to give food to the other servants of the household. You see down here at the bottom, just a few verses later, Jesus says, 
from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I feel very strongly that we have been given and entrusted with much. Everybody in this room, the fact that you know right now where you can lay your head tonight, where you're going to sleep, and that it belongs to you. You don't have to wonder about that. The fact that you know that you can afford anything basically tonight that we want to eat, and you don't have to worry about it, that you're not hungry right now, stressed out about how we're going to eat. That is not the case for a billion people or more in our world. Jesus gave us part of the responsibility. It's difficult for me to deal with why does God allow questions because they're not, they don't have a simple answer every single time. But in the context of where we are right now, when we see a passage that says, do not worry, I think it's right that a couple of you say, well, there's a lot of people who just have no choice. Maybe. If you listen to missionaries from Africa, they'll tell you more often than not that people in their churches have more faith and more reliance on God than we do because our material possession gets in the way of us relying on God because we can rely on ourselves because we don't have to get down on our hands and knees tonight and beg for food. We know where it's coming from. It's coming from right here in our wallets and we don't have to worry about it. We're not relying on God for those basic needs. Jesus was almost setting up a, God knows that you need these things. Your Father knows, and he will provide them to you. We don't even allow him to try. We are self-reliant. We rely on ourselves. But for those people that are rightly concerned about people who don't have anything, who've been praying and searching the skies and wondering, where is the rain going to come from? Where's the food going to come from? Why are we starving here? I want to tell you that part of the answer is because we're over here, and we're not doing anything about those people. And we know statistically that if Christians did certain things, we could cure world hunger and illness. We know that. The World Bank's already issued all these statistics, and we know it's in our hands. There have been books written not by Christians, but even by secular authors. One of them is The End of Poverty, like says, it is possible to end poverty in our generation. Do we have the courage to do it? Do we have the conviction to do it? Probably not. Maybe that's too strong of a statement. Maybe that's why we collect money and we made it a priority to try to do something, even at the, at the smallest level, to provide through World Vision or to provide through Kiva. Maybe you guys are doing things that I, I don't know about. You're sponsoring people. You're sending money elsewhere for poverty relief. You're doing something. But I think that at least part of the answer lies in this verse. Everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And we have been given much. If you study history, there has never been a country on this earth that has been given as much as this one country. But if you also study economics today, you'll learn that there is no country on the earth that has ever consumed as much as we do. Our consumption is off the charts. Some of you know those websites where you can go in and type in your own consumption and figure out how many planet earths we would need if everybody consumed the way you did. It's partly in our hands. I think God is right to point back to us when we say, where are you, God? I think sometimes part of the answer is, where are you? Ryan. Do you think if I gave like, a trash bag full of like, all my old clothes, would that be just as good of a relevance other than me giving money? Sure. I think you give the work of your hands. Like For example, there are some people who are more gifted at starting an enterprise than they are at just giving money. 
so they might go to that country and start an enterprise. They'll end up employing more people and fixing more things than just if they just sent some money ahead. I, I always highlight that talents start with money. We tend to make talents about skills and things, but Jesus in the parable of the talents was talking about a denomination of money, so we should start with that. But I don't think it's exclusively that. It's everything that we've been granted. Everything we have. I'm not trying to get out of it, but I feel like with what I can give with money, is, is it will make little impact because I'm worried about paying bills and paying rent and paying other things. But isn't that the cycle? I mean, isn't that exactly what we're here to talk about? God is already promising that he's going to provide. Some of us just don't believe that. That's why Jesus throws in that, O oh, ye of little faith. Because he knows that we don't believe. He knows that we can tangibly touch money in our hands, right? So we're more likely to trust in our wealth. We're more likely to trust in us. But that's not the model that Jesus set up. Self-reliance is not anywhere in Jesus' equation. It's reliance on God. Seek first the kingdom of God. These things will be added unto you. Maybe not always here. But he knows you need them. Talk to God for a moment and think about it this way. If you know I need to eat and you don't provide food, Lord, I mean, what, you don't think that God could send food down? It's a hard thing to think about and say, like, you're going to allow this to happen? Like I said, part of his answer may be, well, I've got all these other stewards that I've entrusted and they're not coming to your aid. You want me just to rain down manna from heaven? And I'm sure there's a lot of people in the world who go, yes, let's start there. And that's where I have to leave it because I'm not sure why he doesn't do that. He said, well, we don't have enough faith to believe that he'll take care of those needs. But we already basically said, as you said a little bit after that, that well, he doesn't always take care of those needs. If my concern is I want to have enough money right now on earth to pay this bill, well, even if God takes care of me in heaven, like this bill still won't be paid. Um, and so it's not just, well, you have to have enough faith and eventually God will take care of it. Well, no, like it's not always the case. I think that's right. And I, I think what you're highlighting is a very real concern. My only way to explain that is our faith in God has to be so strong sometimes that we have to realize that he's not even going to save us and he's still there. That's the hardest thing for us to deal with. Like, we expect God to be a God who says, how do you let people starve? Like, clearly, if I just let myself go into your arms, you're not going to let anything bad happen to me. Maybe you'll allow things that I can tolerate, but not that bad. And God doesn't seem to do that sometimes. He says, just trust in me. That's hard. Because as you can see, Monique was even wrestling with that. Like, that's a cop-out. I don't want a God who's going to only who's only going to only take care of me when I get to heaven. I want a God who takes care of me now. He is going to take care of us now. But to insist that he takes care of us now, to insist that nobody can die, nobody can get sick, I mean, that's, that's not the world we're living in. And I can think of examples, and, and maybe they're extreme, about the people who have been martyred for their faith. And God didn't come through. Like, you go, hey, I'm going to go into the fiery furnace and I'm going to make it. So the next martyr goes in and goes, okay, me too, and it doesn't happen. Does that mean that God's not there? Or do you have to have enough faith that you can actually go to your death with God allowing it to happen and still believe that he's 100% there and this was somehow part of his greater plan? And that one, the reason I, I hesitate to even bring that up is because that takes more wrestling and more mind expansion than I want to do in just a two-minute thing. That takes a whole conversation. Monique. You just hit the nail on the head because I've been there in a situation where I knew, like, I prayed about something, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, 
and like even people were telling me like whatever screw God whatever and I'm like no like God's still there for me and I still believe like it's his divine plan and he didn't change situation for me and I accepted it and, you know it didn't like affect my faith in that way like I understand things happen but that's where worrying comes in because if you had experiences like that you know and he might not save you from something or he might not give you something and it's out of your control and you know you have to accept and that's why you worry and but that's why you shouldn't because it's in his hands. That's the point of surrender and faith. Look, this is just a personal example from my life. I hate to bring up examples from my life over and over, like I'm the living example you should live by. But last year, some of you guys know that I had a business a number of years ago, and that business was, was involved in a lawsuit. I had nothing to do with that business. And suddenly, I'm being sued. And Lena and I are very stressed out about money, because we know that this lawsuit, it was for $3 million. I mean, this is more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime. And they were suing us for all this money. And I knew that all the other defendants in the lawsuit had, they had no money. It was like, they're going to look solely at us if they won this thing. I also knew that the other people were not defending the case. It was only going to be me if I defended this case. I also knew that I was smart enough not to defend myself. So I had to go get a lawyer. And we watched these bills come in. Every, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I know how much we charge. It was a lot. Every month we're looking at these bills, like 5000 6000 Like, how are we going to pay all this stuff? And I remember I was in that place where I was so worried that everything I had built in my life was going to be wiped away. And I remember standing there focusing on the do not worry. I was reading these verses, and there was a part of me that was like wanting to shake my fist and go, how could you not worry in a situation like this? But it was because of that you of little faith. I kept listening to that you of little faith. And I was standing there one time, just talking to God about it, you know, in one of those moments of frustration where this is how it came down to me. I said, Lord, you have the power right now to end this lawsuit. I believe you have the power to do anything. And I'm not even going to ask you to do that right now. You have the power to kill, which I was kind of like, yeah, kill everybody else in the lawsuit. End it that way. You have the power to influence the judge's mind to just dismiss this case. You have the power to do so many things but you haven't done any of them. And that means that for some reason you're allowing this to happen. I don't know what the reason is. And the weirdest thing is the reason may not even be about me. You may be teaching somebody else a lesson and I'm just like a bit player in this whole thing and I've been caught up in it. But I've prayed to you, I've told you how much this could wreck my life. The only thing I'm going to do is lay it at your feet. I'm just going to say, you have the power to end it. The fact that you're not ending it means you're allowing it. And I don't know why, but I don't need to know why. I accept it. And from that moment, I'm not going to say I never thought about it. I thought about it all the time. I want to tell you that it also kind of once in a while would creep back and stress me out. But every time it did, I would go back to that place and go, if you've allowed it, I will try my hardest to defend it. I will work with my Lord, do what I can. But it's in your hands. It's not in mine. And I have faith that whatever you're going to do, even if you're going to take away everything I have, that's your plan. What I did know is that when God wanted it over, it would be over. If God wanted to allow it to proceed, it was going to go on. That This is so much bigger than me. That's the kind of thing that I think we get to even in the toughest situations. Now, we are still eating. We still had a home. We thought we might lose some of it, but it's okay because we still had all those things. And I knew that even if we lost everything we had, there was a room waiting at my parents' house. It would be a little bit humiliating at 38 to go back to your parents' house. But I wasn't afraid of that because I knew even I had that. And there's people in the world who don't even have that. And that's when I started realizing that, you know what, Lord, I'm loving this life too much. 
and I'm loving what I built in this life too much. And maybe it's a cop-out, but if you're going to take care of me in eternity, I'd rather you took care of me there than here if I had a choice between one or the other because I want to be there forever, here, whatever they do to me, there's only so much they could take before I'm with you. That's the faith of falling into the arms of the Lord. It's not easy. And I'm not going to tell you that I did it once and after that I was just whistling and walking down the street. It took a long time to constantly go back and do that. One interesting side note to all that is now that we finally finished that whole year, that case eventually went away. We paid a lot of money to our attorney. Thought, where are we going to get that kind of money? And as we saw the year end of all the stuff that we did through my business, we ended up earning in a year that I didn't think we would enough to cover those bills and make it just like we had the year before. I'm not going to tell you God does it every time. It just happened this one time. And if it didn't happen, I'd still be telling you the same story. and I'd still be telling you to have the same faith. I didn't think God was going to take care of us that way. And even when I didn't think so, he still did. And sometimes he won't because he's not promising us a perfect life here. And if you believe that, if you believe that once you become a Christian that your life's going to be like perfect, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You're going to walk away from the faith. Look at this. He tells us not to worry, but look at carefully what he says. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's not telling you it's going to be a fairy tale. Jesus knows there's going to be trouble. He's just saying, not going to do you any good to worry about it. It's not going to change anything. So seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added unto you here, later, Maybe we should be adding for others. If you want a model of what Jesus probably really wanted in the church, think back to the Acts church when it first started. All of the people, just think of everybody in this room right here, sold everything they had, laid it down to the feet of Ben Joyner, because he wants all checks made out to him. (laughs) Put it all in front of Ben and said, Ben, you divide among us what we need, how we need to eat, where we're going to get the money. Then the whole church lived in community together. And notice if you read the book of Acts, the church grew so big so quickly because everyone could see the way they lived together and took care of each other's needs. There was nobody who needed anything and daily there was numbers added to them because of this kind of thing. See, we don't live that way anymore in our churches. Our churches now are about building buildings and and all these things and building campaigns and people on staff, all this kind of stuff. We're concerned about programs. We're not concerned about feeding the people who need it. And I'm one of those people. Let's kind of leave it there, close right there. Give us something to think about in this. If you let me next week, we're going to do a little bit of chapter 7 and then stop. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you in a spirit of confession because we have not followed those commandments that you left for us to love you first and to love our neighbors ourselves. We redefine neighbor, Lord, not the way you defined it, but in a way that's comfortable to us, to love those who love us. But you reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that that's that's not good enough, that even the pagans do that, even the tax collectors do that, Lord. Lord, we haven't done enough to take care of the needs of the world. We have not been wise, faithful stewards for you, taking care of the other servants. And we ask for forgiveness for that as well. Lord, I'm not sure how much of the world's need we could satisfy, but I know that there's a part of it we could, and we're not doing that. And we're not thinking outside of ourselves. Tonight, each one of us will have a bed, we'll have food, we'll have shelter. And Lord, there are billions who won't. May you stir in our hearts, Lord, this week ways to become better stewards for you. And Lord, for those of us who are in trouble, who are 
in a place where we're tempted to constantly be in a place of anxiety and stress and worry, can you help us just to fall back gently into your arms? You are the God who can do anything. And if you choose to allow our circumstance, Lord, let us praise you all the more and continue to seek first your kingdom and righteousness and pray in faith, Lord, that these other things will be taken care of. You know what it is we need and you have the power to do anything, Lord. Let us fall into your arms in faith and trust that you will take care of us in the way that you see fit. Pray this in your name. Amen.